and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and I have been guilty of boondoggling it on occasion. Boondoggling. I feel like I know what that means, but I don't think I do at the same time. It's the act of trying to look busy when you have nothing to do. Oh, I've definitely done that. Yeah. I mean, not that we ever do that at work. Of course not. You know, but just, you know, other times, maybe when we're um, trying to avoid talking with someone or um, catching someone's eye or trying to avoid catching someone's eye. Exactly. Stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. So, well, a welcome to Addicted to Murder, like Courtney said, and we are on Arthur Shawcross Part 4. Our final Shawcross. It is. Finally. I'm Shawcrossed out. Same. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, there's that. So, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> before we get into that, um, Courtney, I have my question for you. All right. You, it might make you think for a minute, or you might just be so quick, but what is something that's you think might be perceived as odd on your bucket list? Ooh, that's a good question. I thought about it all morning. Hmm. And now I have to think about it on the spot. Mm-hmm. I would say mm, I don't know if I actually have like a a bucket list if that makes sense. What is something mm-hmm. weird that you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not weird, yeah. but something, you know, abstract or like out of left field or you know. Not not the like oh I I want to travel something something different than that (laughs) something different than that um I guess I have always thought it could be fun to do like a like a cooking competition oh like on tv like chopped or I mean that would be like the very extreme version that I don't think I'd ever do but like for amateur chefs for like amateur chefs yeah because I'm not a professional but I like to cook do you like to cook or bake do you have a preference? Um, I'm probably better at cooking without like recipes and stuff. Same. So, so probably cooking. Yeah. I feel yeah. like baking, you have to use the right, you know, baking soda or powder or whatever. Or it's just not going to rise or not rise or whatever. Right. Exactly. There's a lot more like science, very clear science and math involved where I feel like I'm pretty good at just like cobbling something together and it tastes good. Yeah. I, I feel the same way about my own skills in the mm-hmm. culinary arts. Yeah, all right. That'll be fun. Yeah. What well, about you? Um, so mine's pretty obscure, but um, so one of my favorite shows of all time is Twin Peaks. And mm-hmm. the um, third season that came out not too long ago, which was crazy because it was like, we'll see you in 20 years or 25 years. I can't remember what it was now. And then literally it came out that t- amount of time and picked up right where it left off. So that was crazy awesome and it was great and I love Kyle McLaughlin Mm -hmm. I think he is amazing I love him in Portlandia um you know Mm -hmm. all of the things um and he has a winery in Walla Walla Washington um and I want to go to it and meet him it's called Pursued by Bear winery not sure why I'm sure there's like a a a story behind yeah or like a Native American myth or I don't know but Mm -hmm. that's sort of like my weird thing on my bucket list okay that's pretty cool actually and it's doable I mean I can't guarantee he'll be there but Walla Walla is like you know traveling distance by car oh definitely I think I might even have relatives 
in Walla Walla or near Walla Walla. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear it's a super cute town. So I don't, I'm excited to go regardless if I see him or not. Right. It is small town Washington for sure. Okay. Well, that's the question. Sorry to put you on the spot, but that's what we do. It is what we do. <laughs> Um, do you want to do a brief overview of the third, well, the beginning of Arthur Shawcross? Yes. So in our previous episodes, we met Artie Shawcross, who was born early and had lots of head trauma, and his mom didn't love him as much as she loved his siblings. And so he got angry a lot and was very aggressive and violent. And then eventually he murdered two children, was convicted, went to prison um, for 14 and a half out of his 25-year sentence, was released from prison and summarily run out of multiple towns um, uh, while on parole due to his crimes, and then was, I believe we left off, settled in Rochester, New York, Mm -hmm. where the parole board did not communicate with local authorities about the nature of his crimes. Right. Okay. So Arthur and Rose were settling in Nice. I remember Rose is his pin pal from jail, prison, and now they're living together. Um, Arthur and Rose were settling nicely into Rochester, New York. They even moved from the kind of crappy place they were living to a nicer brownstone in the community. And at this time, Rose was working as a nurse's aide with the elderly, and Artie was working for Fred Bergogna Produce. Sorry, Fred. I'm sure I said that wrong. He basically cut up vegetables, but apparently he was a pretty reliable employee and tenant. However, he did make some people who lived near him uncomfortable with his mood swings. And apparently he even grabbed a neighbor's breast. And those neighbors ended up moving away, um, which was probably lucky for them in the long run. Artie was working days. Rose was working nights. And Rose really didn't know what Artie was doing while she was at work. Sometimes Artie would be with Clara. Other times he'd just borrow Clara's car and he'd cruise around downtown. Artie liked to drive around where the sex workers hung out. And that is where things took a turn. Dorothy, um, or Dorothy Blackburn, but she went by Dotsy. Um, she was a cocaine-addicted prostitute and was also mom to a six-month-old baby as well as two other children. She lived with her boyfriend slash pimp, and on March 15, 1988, she went out to hopefully earn some money and did not come back home. When Dotsy did not return home three days later, uh, that was when her welfare check um, came, her family and boyfriend really started to worry. On March 24th, a... Excuse me, on March 24th, a work crew was cleaning up debris on Salmon Creek when they found a mannequin near the water. Okay, Courtney, I see this all the time in these books that we read. Everyone thinks it's a mannequin, just a random mannequin. Why would there be random mannequins floating in rivers? I know. Come on, people. I know. It's, I, <laughs> I don't know. But so, I mean, I've never ran across a mannequin or a body in real life. So I guess I won't know till if it ever happens to me what I would think. But I don't think I would ever think it was a mannequin. Yeah, I would probably assume first that it was a body until I was proven wrong that it was a mannequin. Yes. Perhaps we're cynical, though. I don't know. Who knows? But uh, the workmen used a rake to pull the mannequin to them, and then they actually, you know, realized what they were looking at. And the mannequin, but really wasn't a mannequin, was identified at the morgue by her sister as Dorothy. When her boyfriend slash pimp alibis panned out, because of course they look at the boyfriend first, they started looking elsewhere, they being the police, um, for her offender. 
Dottie had been bitten many times in her vaginal area with, quote, right labia minora has three centimeter vertical and one and a half centimeter horizontal laceration from, from clitoral area, end quote. She had also been strangled. When interviewed later, Artie said that he agreed to pay her for oral sex, and when they began, she bit his penis. He claims that there was blood everywhere, and he was afraid he was going to die. And I guess she smiled at him in retaliation, and um, he bent over and bit her vagina. Okay. And he said, quote, something tore loose, but I didn't care. Okay, that just really grossed me out when I read that, because I'm, you know, assuming that some part of her vagina came loose in his mouth but um he then said he couldn't stop his pain and to like get back at her um he reached over and grabbed her throat until she passed out he then tied her arms back with her own pants he then used her shirt to tie her feet together he started to smack her and threaten her he then untied her told her to put her clothes back on and that he was going to kill her Artie said she kept smiling and taunting him he assumed that she was high He then choked her for at least 10 minutes, and she died. He then dropped her into the creek, stuck around, staring at her for about an hour, drove to the coffee shop, had a cup, cleaned up Clara's car. It was a light blue Omni. Um, Threw all of of her belongings away, except for her ID. He kept that. And he claimed he could not get the blood all the way out of the seat of the car, so I assume must have been a dark seat because Clara never said anything about it later on. Um, he said he wasn't in a daze for about a week after that. Corny, do you have any thoughts? Oh, I think that Artie's behaviors speak to how emotionally immature and impulsive he was. You know, the whole, like, you bit me, so now I'm going to bite you, mm-hmm. you know, thing is a very childlike response. And plus, I'm pretty sure that he was used to just easily getting others to comply with him through aggression and threats. I mean, he was a big dude. Mm -hmm. Um, So I imagine just his size could be intimidating. So, um, you know, the fact that if his story were true, that she was smiling and kind of taunting back at him, um, I could see how he could be kind of overcome and just sort of lose it in, in his anger. Right. I mean, based on the psychological reports we've gone over, when he gets angry, he gets crazy. When he's not angry, he's a very nice person, apparently. Right. Or something like that, which may or may not be, you know, related to kind of that increased impulsivity from multiple head injuries. Mm -hmm. So Artie had an apparent heart attack at his job at this time, and he could not go to work there any longer. So he started working at a hot dog stand for a little bit. Then he got another job at G&G Food Service. So now he had a job that worked him at nights. Arthur continued to check in with the parole board and had further psychological examinations done. He was diagnosed with PTSD and sexual, sexual dysfunction, but he was a good parolee as far as the board was concerned. So on July 8th, 1989... Anna Marie Stefflin, who was a cocaine addict, was arrested for sex work. She was pregnant at this time, but only weighed 95 pounds. Apparently, she was pretty far along because she was taken to the hospital and warned she could go into labor at any time, but she insisted on being released. So just a little backstory on Anna. When she was young, she was a nurturing older sister to her sister that had spina bifida. She would take her sister to school, bathe her, dress her. But unfortunately, her sister died, and when she did, um, Anna lost direction. She did get married and had children, but was soon addicted to drugs and went off into another type of life. 
She now lived with her boyfriend slash pimp. And when she didn't come back that night, some thought she had gone somewhere to have the baby she was carrying. But after many weeks, her friends thought that maybe she was dead, possibly of AIDS or suicide. But on September 9th, 1989, a man by the name of Hector Maldonado was searching for bottles next to, next to the Genesee River when he spotted a green plastic bag with a leg bone sticking out of it. He thought it was an animal, but then he saw the clothing. Apparently, the body was so decomposed that medical examiners couldn't figure out the cause of death. Quote, a rock about 15 inches in diameter covered a hang of medium-length brown hair that appeared to have been ripped from the skull. The eyes were gone from their sockets, and most of the skin had rotted away in the summer heat. A few gnarled brown ribs lay in disarray. A white tank top with red shoulder straps were bunched around the left wrist bone, and a pair of Calvin Klein jeans had been pulled down to the right ankle and turned inside out. An unbuckled brown belt was looped through the jeans. Fifteen feet from the body, police found a pair of flip-flop sandals. End quote. So Artie would later tell authorities that he offered Anna $20 for oral sex. She accepted, and they went to a field with tall grass to hide them. While they were in the middle of this, about four or five kids showed up. Anna wanted to get out of there right away, but Artie was afraid he'd get into trouble. If the kids saw him, since he wasn't allowed around children, um, he was worried that he would get in trouble. So he wouldn't let her get up from where they were hiding. This is a quote from his interview. I says, you know, I says, I can't explain it. I says, we just can't have these kids see what we're doing, you know? And she says, you don't let me up. I'm going to scream, you know? And at that moment, the same thing happened to me that happened with the first one. I started sweating, you know? Water just rolling right out of me, and I panicked, and I just grabbed her by the throat, you know, just held and squeezed her until she quit. Then I took, and I rolled her off. We were about four feet from the edge of the cliff, and I rolled her over there behind the bush, end quote. Courtney, sounds like he had a pretty bad anxiety attack and was worried about getting caught with a prostitute, you know, but killing one and throwing her down the side of the hill is okay. You know, I... I don't think it was the act of being with a sex worker that he was anxious about. Um, you know, like he said, he was a registered sex offender who wasn't allowed to be around children. Um, so his only care was that he not be caught in the same area as those kids because he didn't want to go back to jail for that. And in that, his mind, in that particular moment, that possibility somehow seemed worse than killing Anna. Mm-hmm. Just kind of goes to show you how warped his thinking is absolutely so um going on to the next uh dorothy keeler was a homeless woman that Artie would sometimes pay a few dollars to for house cleaning he claims they started to have an affair when she would come over to the house to clean apparently dorothy would occasionally steal money from Artie and rose when she was actually cleaning the house and Artie found out about it he confronted dorothy about it and she threatened to tell rose about the affair if he ever you know tried to get the money back from her They were down by the river fishing when they had this conversation, and um, Artie got pissed off, and he promptly picked up a piece of wood and hit her on the face where she dropped like a stone, is what he said. He said blood came out of her ears and eyes, and he just knew she was dead. He must have hit her very hard. Um, Patricia Ives was a pretty girl who unfortunately found drugs at age 16. She dropped out after this and apparently lived to get high. Cocaine was her preference. She was married for a time and worked as an exotic dancer, but eventually that turned into performing fellatio through cutout holes in the dance clubs. If she was too doped up to work, her kind boyfriend slash pimp, whose name was Ratface Billy, 
uh, would shoot her up and put her on the streets to work as a prostitute. She did give birth to a drug-addicted baby that was taken from her by the local government, and she was constantly being jailed for prostitution or drug use. She did attempt a sober life. She went through treatment a few times and tried joining AA, but ultimately she could not stop using drugs. By the time she was 25, she was described as skeletal-looking, with track marks up and down her arms and hands. She had the nickname Crazy Patty because of her constant talking, and she was rumored to have HIV. Regardless of all this, it was a terrible thing when she went missing on September 29, 1989. Her boyfriend reported her missing two weeks later. I guess that must be the lifestyle they were leading because two weeks is a long time to wait to report someone missing. But um, So they wandered down toward the lot. Um, sorry, Artie and Patty had wandered down toward the lot behind the YMCA swimming pool. And Artie was distracted by the kids playing. And he claims that Patty grabbed his wallet and took out all of his money as if to rob him. So he strangled her. Her body was discovered by a young boy sometime later. By this time, the local police were wondering if they had a serial killer out there or if there were just multiple murders. Um, Some of the murders were similar, being that most were prostitutes or sex workers, but some were strangled, some bludgeoned, some near the city center, some outside the city limits. They weren't quite sure what they were looking for. They had looked into previous offenders in the area, but because Artie's record was sealed, he didn't even come to their attention. Again, how irresponsible the parole board to not educate the local police on this murderer in their midst. They did know something was going on. You know, a lot of dead prostitutes they knew by name, maybe even, you know, grudgingly liked, um, were were dying. And the, the local police were really committed in solving these crimes. Um, Artie killed Maria Welch around November 9th when a sex transaction went awry. This is a little disturbing. Apparently, Maria was on her period, and this greatly upset Artie. He asked for his $30 back when he found this out, and she refused, so he choked her until she passed out, then removed the tampon and put in a bar towel. When she came to, he pulled out the towel, raped her, then killed her through strangulation. Her body was discovered five days later by a fisherman who smelled the body before finding it. Franny Brown was another one of Artie's victims. He claims that he purchased sexual favors for $30 and that they performed oral sex on each other. He says that she died while performing fellatio on him as she couldn't breathe. Um, he couldn't finish. He, he struggled a lot of times with climaxing with all of these interactions. Um, but he did play with her body a bit before tossing her out of Clara's car window and down an embankment. June Scott's body was found on Thanksgiving Day in 1989 by a man walking his dog. The medical examiner said asphyxiation was probable cause of death, although the body had been gutted from breastbone to crotch and her labia were missing. June Scott was not a sex worker. Um, As with the other bodies, there was no semen present, but evidence of anal rape was abound. Artie still struggled with the ejaculation that we just said, so most, if not all, of these murders did not yield that type of evidence. Artie said that he and June were friendly, and one day the two of them went down to the Genesee River to feed the ducks, and she asked Artie to be her first lover. He tried, but couldn't get it in. I'm assuming because he had trouble getting erections. At this, June told Artie that she was going to tell the police on him for trying to rape her. Um, I'm not really sure if, if, if that's true, what she was trying to get out of him, but... I don't know. He panicked, sweated a lot, as he does, and strangled her. He did say he was sorry about this one because he actually cared for her, but that didn't stop him from going back two days later to be sure he really had committed the crime. Quote, I don't know. 
I just took that knife and I cut her from neck down to her anus, but I didn't cut the stomach wall. I just opened up the fat tissue and I cut out the vagina and ate it. Why? I don't know. I just ate it. And I took, went back. I covered her up with the rug. First, I rolled her over on her stomach, covered her up with the rug, went back, picked up all the excess stuff that was there, threw it in the river and left. After this murder, the feds were called in to help, with, um, to help profile the killer. They found that the same man would have been responsible for all of these murders, the ones that I just uh, went over, and he was probably white in his mid-30s, a violent husband, had a bad relationship with his mother, had a criminal record, and likely lived in the area. He also felt inadequate with the opposite sex. It was agreed, excuse me, it was agreed that he was a sociopath that would fit into a crowd and may even be helpful with authorities. Courtney, do you have anything you'd like to add at this point? You know, well, for the most part, that FBI profile seems to fit Artie pretty well. I mean, he was a little bit older. He was in his mid-40s by this time, um, but that's like the smallest detail. Mm -hmm. You know, we are very clearly seeing, you know, what limited control he had over his impulses devolving um, and becoming more grotesque with each kill. And so it really seems like at this point, any little moment of disagreement or insult was now reason enough for murder. So you're thinking that he's um, jumping to murder quicker after anger than he did at the beginning? I think so. It sounds like it. Like His fuse is getting shorter. Right. Or like his resolution in his head is to just murder them. Right. Exactly. It's going straight to like, not just like beat them up or intimidate them, but straight to murder. Yeah. Artie's next victim was Elizabeth Gibson. He said he was in a restaurant eating a steak, and when he came out, there was a woman in his car. She said she was in the car because she was cold. So Artie turned on the heat to warm her up. She then wanted a date, and all he had was $10. He said that she freaked out, put her fingers into his eyes, and with her foot broke the gear shift casing. This set Artie off, and he did what he does now. Panics, gets sweaty, then strangles the sex worker. Now he said that the actual gear shift itself was bent, and he could not even put it into reverse. So, you know, he said that she just freaked out before he tried to kill her, but I'm sure thinking that maybe she went nuts after he started choking her, and that's when she broke the gear shift. He said he had to physically bend the shift back into place and then drove her to a snowy field, stripped her down, and dumped the body. So number eight was trippy. This is from him. This is a quote from him. Number eight was trippy. Picked her up on Dewey Avenue. Went behind a warehouse somewhere. I couldn't get it up and she cursed me. I told her to shut up. She called me a little boy. Then baby talked to me. I choked her. So there were a couple um, ones that he, I think there were two prostitutes that he claimed to have killed that they never found bodies on. And I think this one that he's calling trippy is one of those. Okay. just that one was a little different <laughs> because there was no body to uh, for the medical examiner to you know let us know about. So he then killed a veteran steep street prostitute, and her name was June Cicero. She was warned by the police that there was a killer on the loose, um, that you know the victims were sex workers, and she said she wasn't afraid. And in fact, because there were so many who were afraid, she was making a lot of money. She told the local fuzz, "Supply and demand." Anyhow, she was Shawcross's next victim. Artie claims he doesn't remember this kill at all, just that he pushed her out of the car over the guardrail down a snowy embankment. A few days later, he went back and mutilated her. He claims to have cut her vagina out of her bone and all. He then ate it. 
Clearly there's some misunderstanding of human anatomy there and that there are no bones within the vagina. I was wondering if like maybe he like cut out part of like the The pelvis. pelvis. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, throwing that in there. He, He thinks that he ate something. Um, and many of these bodies did have parts of vaginas missing. Whether or not he truly ate them, don't know. He might have just mutilated them. By this time, the police had taken to look for some of the missing prostitutes' bodies by helicopter. Um, they finally located from the air the body of June Cicero. As they were calling what they had found, they noticed a man stepped outside of his vehicle on the road just above the body. So... The cops are in their helicopter. They see a body below. They're calling into the the ground cops to come to the coordinates. And then they look over and they see a guy outside of his car just kind of standing there. Um, So he and that guy had thrown something out of the car and then kind of saw the helicopters and left. So they were able to ID the car. They didn't necessarily think it was the killer. um, But, you know, it was worth questioning someone since they were near the body. Right. Maybe he could be a witness. So they were able to find the car at Claire O'Neill's place of employment. Artie had driven straight there when he noticed the police helicopters overhead. When the police asked Artie to come down to answer some questions, he did go. He he was, um, you know, working with them. He admitted to have been in jail for a long period of time for manslaughter. So this really got the cops going. They were then able to dig into his past and found out what he had done. So mind you, had the parole board notified the local police about Artie living in the area as they were supposed to have, Artie would have already been on their radar and perhaps many of these um, you know, women's lives would have been saved. But I guess we'll never know. Um, the police questioned Artie for about five hours and didn't get a confession. The DA told them to let him go for now so they could gather, gather more evidence. They did not want to blow this case as the first one had been done. Um, So throughout the police investigation, one of the detectives had been having meetings with a prostitute by the name of Joanne Van Nostrand. And um, she had an encounter with someone she thought may have been the killer earlier on in the year. She fortunately sweet-talked her way out of the situation when he started to get angry and she was able to leave his car alive, although she said that she was terrified. And she uh, told the the lieutenant she was working with, that his name was Mitch. He called himself Mitch. But he told her some other information about himself, like where he worked, and she knew his car and his face. The police asked her if the picture they had of Artie was Mitch, and she confirmed it. So they really thought they had him at this point. Um, They were able to search his place and picked him up again for more direct questioning. He really wasn't talking, but when they insinuated that Clara might be involved and that they would bring her in for questioning, as it was her car that had been identified, then he started to confess. He was eventually booked and charged for multiple murders. So um, they also found some of the um, dead women's belongings, jewelry that was given to Clara and Rose. So they did have other evidence too, but they basically were threatening to to bring Clara in if he didn't confess. And he must have cared for Clara somewhat because he did. So during his time, um, during his time in lockup, he again was examined by several psychiatrists. One psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Richard Krauss went above and beyond to figure out what was up with Artie. So Artie was still an enigma at this point, you know, I mean, we've seen that throughout this whole, this whole examination of him. And after months of interviews and reviewing evidence and reaching out to colleagues, he decided to have some genetic tests run on Artie. So it turns out Artie had an extra Y chromosome, so scientific designation of 47XYY. He also tested abnormally high on his cryptopyroli levels, so 
Cryptopyroli is related to bile form from excess metabolism, and too much of this causes py- pyroluria, which then some processes or which through some processes screw up the body chemistry and causes deficiencies. Okay, just a disclaimer: I did take medical terminology for years, and I still struggle with some of these words. Um, <laughs> so, apparently, um, both of these diagnoses—well, I don't know if they're diagnosis. I don't know what it is when a you have an extra chromosome, but both of these things are attributed to violent behavior or are linked to violent behavior. Behavior. So now some symptoms of polyuria are terrible behavioral problems. Such individuals unable to control anger once provoked, have mood swings, can't tolerate sudden loud noises, sensitive to bright lights, tend to be night people, usually skip breakfast, have trouble recalling normal dreams and poor short-term memory. So that kind of can describe you know, a little bit of everybody. But um, if you mix that with all the head injuries he has, and then, you know, with that extra chromosome, um, kind of sounds like a recipe for disaster. Do you have any insight, Courtney, on this genetic mutation? So I did some research about these conditions because I didn't know a lot about them um, kind of before. And so what I learned um, is that, so the chromosomal abnormality, 47XYY, Um, is commonly known as Jacob syndrome. Um, And males with the syndrome tend to be physically bigger than average, um, about like three inches taller than you would expect based on the rest of their genetics. Um, And that was true of Arthur. He was a very big person. Um, You know, mentally, there is a higher risk of learning disabilities, seizures, and impulse control, which we also saw with Artie. Um, And, you know, there are differing opinions on whether increased aggression is also related or not. There's not really a consensus among, um, you know, scientists out there on that. Now, as for the pyroluria, um, there is actually some controversy here. So the field of orthomolecular psychiatry started in the 1950s and suggests that things like allergies and nutritional deficiencies or imbalances are the cause of mental illnesses, particularly schizophrenia. So pyroluria would fall under this category of like orthomolecular psychiatry. Um, So in my research, it seems like mainstream medical and psychiatry providers do not accept or promote this approach. And scientific studies have repeatedly found absolutely no correlation between like this particular problem and mental illness. So there's that. Okay. Well, let's see. Okay. So now, you know, he's been booked. He's, you know, going to stand trial. And this is one of the psychiatrist's um, evaluations to give to the court, right? So when it was Dr. Cross's time to present his findings to the court for Arthur's murder trial, this was his conclusion. This is Dr. Cross's conclusion. Quote, an emotionally unstable, learning disabled, genetically impaired, biochemically disordered, neurologically damaged individual, psychologically alienated from significant others throughout his entire life, venting his frustration and rage, mixed with fear and defiance, in a lifetime of ever more violent and destructive aggression, which ultimately turned overpowering murderous to sorry, to overpowering murderous fury. Um I think that kind of sums it up. What do you think, Courtney? I mean pretty much, yeah. I mean 
I don't know that they'll ever figure out exactly why he is the way he is, but they they know how he works in a way. Like, right? They, they definitely <laughs> gave us the what, yeah. just not yeah. necessarily the why. Yeah, there's all sorts of you know hypotheses of the whys, but it's not a, a normal case. Um, right, he doesn't fit neatly into any sort mm-hmm. of of category. Mm-hmm. In November of 1990, Artie had entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. However, he was found sane and fit to stand trial. So the jury jury only took six hours to find him guilty of 10 murders, and he got 250 years. He was held at the Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York, where he died of cardiac arrest at age 63. Courtney? Ah, the good old insanity defense. Mm -hmm. You know, I think... Um, people forget that the only thing that really matters when deciding if someone is able to stand trial is whether they, you know, are and were capable of recognizing right from wrong when they committed their crime. Um, you know, he could have had all the nice diagnoses in the world that were thrown around for him. Um, but if he understood that killing is wrong, then he is legally sane. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you can kind of figure that out by, you know, what they do before or after the murder. Right. Exactly. He did try to hide his bodies, you know, his mm-hmm. victims somewhat. I mean, he didn't do a good job. Right. But mm-hmm. he did attempt to cover them with things mm-hmm. and dispose of them in places where he hoped they hadn't wouldn't be found right away and all that. Right. And didn't go around bragging to everybody about it. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I was thinking, Courtney, I mean, is... Do you think he's addicted to murder or do you think he's just totally, it's just a, a totally different thing with him? Like murder is just something that is an inevitable, inevitable conclusion for his rages, but not necessarily something he seeks out. Um, You know, it's hard to say. It's very clear that, you know, his homicidal rages are related to sex mm-hmm. um, and sexual performance. And we saw that from a young age that violence and sex... Um, were very much related for him. Um, And so in that sense, he does sort of fit that profile of um, like a sadistic killer. Um, But at the same time, he's so disorganized and impulsive um, that it's hard to say if he was intentionally kind of seeking out these sexual encounters for the purpose of committing murder or if he was seeking out sexual encounters and then was sort of overcome mm-hmm. by angry emotions um, that led to these murders. Well, I mean, um, in that book, if you, you know, because they, they go really in depth with the um, with the one prostitute that did get away. And it sounds like Artie, you know, engaged in, in sex workers or, you know, hired them for a long time. Like, mm-hmm. he didn't kill everyone he had. So people knew who he was. They knew him as Mitch um, or John, I think he also went by. So, you know, he probably, I don't think that he went into a, um, a sexual transaction thinking that he was going to kill them. I think that sometimes something happened and it just made him go, you know, into one of those rages and he killed him. But I don't know, though, because mm-hmm. you can't tell when he's telling the truth or not. Right. There is just so much that he says that is unverifiable. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says a lot. He does. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, yeah, like I said, he passed away now, but um, I recommend anyone to go on YouTube and watch that interview um, that he did. I mean, take take from it what you will. I mean, we see that he, that all sorts of um, 
professionals have differing opinions on what's going on with him, but it's still interesting to hear him talk and to see him blink and um, hear what he has to say. Yeah, it was interesting. Right. This is maybe one of those, like, that's still kind of a mystery. Right. And that book was really great, The Misbegotten Son. So um, if you – I really liked it because it kind of went into the victims' um, lives a little bit more and personified them um, as, you know, not just a victim, but gave a little backstory, which is nice because that doesn't always happen when we go over the true crime stuff. Right. Yeah, a lot of it is just sensational, sensationalizing, you know, the killer. Right. Well, that's it for Arthur Shawcross Part 4. Woohoo! Um, apologize for me. I sound super nasally, and I can hear it, and and it made me say words weird, so I'm sorry. But I am sure that nobody cares, Miss Trisha. I, I know, but I can hear it, and it bugs me, but okay. What do you, uh, hey, Courtney, why don't you tell us who you, or give us a clue for your next killer. It's a big uh, one. It is a big one. We are diving straight into some pretty ginormous headlines that went along mm-hmm. with this one um and i feel like if i give any sort of detail it's just gonna give it away yeah i agree mm-hmm. it's a big one that's all we'll say yeah. um social media yes so in between now and then if you want to uh give us a shout out if you want to like rate review follow, subscribe, all of those things, you can find us on social media. So you can find us um, at Addicted to M podcast on Instagram or at Addicted to Murder podcast on Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and I'm missing one, aren't I? Twitter. And Twitter. Thank you. Or if you want to shoot us an email with comments, questions, suggestions, anything like that, um, you can find us at addicted to murder podcast at gmail.com. And we did hit 500 followers on Instagram and 5,000 downloads. Woohoo. Thanks everyone. Yes. And, um, we are going to, um, record another video segment here after we wrap up on this one. And, um, so check us out on all of those platforms we just said. We'll have a little video to post hopefully later today. Yes. Which will be Sunday. Prior nudistusion. That was one of our words the day before yesterday. That's right. Nudistusion. I don't know. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.